what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone, welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Hi, I'm Chris. And we're here to welcome you to our discussion show where we talk about films, movies, we give a few reviews, we talk about some movie news, give our recommendations of films you may want to check out from the past. Just a whole lot of film stuff going on. I hope yes. being, if you're listening to this and you don't like movies, you may have found the wrong podcast. That's I'm right. just saying that. I'm not trying to scare away listeners, <laughs> mind you. You're welcome to listen. There are other Please shows do. on The Mesh that might be more to your liking. Yeah. We right. have you know shows about music, I'm with the band, stuff right. like that. But if you like movies, you have stumbled upon the right one. Maybe, even if they don't like movies, maybe they like the sound of our voices. That could be Because we both have such yes. dynamic, radio-friendly voices. Absolutely. <laughs> They just soothe one right into like, the irony the dripping from that statement is, uh, <laughs> is, is deep. Right. Uh, so welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Uh, today's show, we've actually got a couple good films to talk about, some good reviews to discuss. We're going to be reviewing the film The Imitation Game, one that uh, Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch getting a lot of Oscar buzz right now. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to be reviewing a film that's uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, one that didn't get a lot of, I don't think, any theatrical release. I don't think uh, so. May have gone straight to video on demand, but yet got some good buzz behind it. A film called Predestination, starring a Mr. Ethan Hawke, who, synergy-wise, is also up for Best Supporting Actor for Boyhood. Yeah. Not for right. Predestination. So a little Oscar thing we're tying in with that film as well. We'll review both those films, then we'll circle back and do a little movie news, give you a few updates on some projects we've been following and listening about. Then we'll end up the show, both of us giving our online recommendation, a film we think you ought to check out one way or another, either you uh, saw in the past or uh, maybe missed in the past. Either way, we're going to bring it back to your attention and encourage you to check it out. Sound like a plan, Chris? Yes. Sounds great. Well, let's just... Not even wasting any time, and let's jump right into our first review, which is the uh, World War II drama film, The Imitation Game. This war, we're not winning it. It's the greatest encryption device in history, and the Germans use it for all communications. Everyone thinks Enigma is unbreakable. Let me try, and we'll know for sure. What is it that we're really doing? We're going to break an unbreakable Nazi code and win the war. You know, to pull off this irascible genius routine, one actually has to be a genius. I'm designing a machine that will allow us to break every message, every day, instantly. Back during World War II, Chris, there's a mathematician named Alan Turing. He was brought in by the British government to figure out how to break the Enigma Code, which is what the Germans were using, the Nazi army was using to transmit messages between all of their, their various armies. Alan Turing, famous mathematician, but really not someone we knew a whole lot about with regards to his involvement with the birth of the modern-day computer and the Enigma machine until really the last 20 years or so because this was a project that was kept very secret for, I believe, about 50 years after it took place. You have Benedict Cumberbatch starring as Alan Turing. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, you may know as Smog from Lord of the Rings movies, Sherlock from the BBC series, Khan, Khan from Star Trek. So he's played a lot of genre parts for sure. Right. 
this is, I think, the first film I know of from a big picture that he's doing that's a heavy drama, historical, a little more Oscar bait screaming for type of thing. First film he's really done in that caliber. Wait a, wait a second. So the Hobbit films aren't historical. Um, sure. No, they really happen, Chris. It's okay. <laughs> they all happened. All right. It's all documented. <laughs> All happen. So dragons are real. Dragons are absolutely real. Cool. Yeah, right. no problem. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, we've got Kira Knightley starring as uh, one of his partners, someone who joins the team at Blackley Park to work on the Enigma Code. Matthew Good as a fellow mathematician brought into the team as well. The director, Morton Tildum, I don't know anything about him. I, am uh, I believe with him he's as well. just done some smaller British projects before, but nothing quite this big. So, Chris, here's my question to you. Sure. I don't like biopics. I don't like films that are focusing on one famous person's life and try to cram as much of that person's life into a film as possible. Right. What I do like, though, are films that are exploring an event in history. Not one person, but an event. Something in a more of a collapsed time frame where I can really dig into that event. This is a kind of a hybrid where I'm not going to go as far as to say it's a biopic, but yet it definitely has some of the same trappings of a traditional biopic, but it is really focused on this time at Blackley Park where they're working on the code breaking. Right. So let me just toss it back to you. Sure. Walking out of this theater, does this fall into the same traps as a traditional biopic that you and I have both railed about in the past? Me, maybe a little louder than you. Did it have anything more going to it for it other than the traditional biopic? And did it have anything more going for it than screaming for Oscar bait? You know, which a lot of films this time of year will do. I mean, yeah, I think when you release a biopic, traditional or non-traditional, in the November, December time frame, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're gunning. You're gunning for yeah. an Oscar. I mean, we've got... You've got the, the hook. You've got the bait on the hook. You've tossed it out in the water. Absolutely. That's what you're trying to do. We've got Imitation Game. We've got Theory of Everything. We've got Get On Up, which actually was released earlier mm-hmm. for the James Brown biopic. But you have all these... Um, I'm missing one, too. There's one other one that I'm missing. But, well, um, Selma, I don't call ah, I wouldn't consider a biopic because, again, it's focused on a particular a event. Time it's not trying to cram this person's it life into a movie. It happens to you know, talk it's, about, obviously, Martin Luther sure, King. Right. But, yeah, so I will say it's an interesting – I think they tried to get away – maybe they've heard our comments before about mm-hmm. how we – They probably listen to the show. Yeah, they probably do. Mm-hmm. How we do not care for traditional biopics because they tend to be overreaching. Yeah. Um, so I think they tried to avoid that by narrowing the focus of this down to the event that you're discussing, the um, the Enigma machine and the mm-hmm. World War II aspect and his contribution to that. Really, the whole time period of the main storyline was really maybe just, what, a two-, three-year period of time? Correct. Yeah, because yeah, the a, war has already started. Right. They've already been trying to break the machine, and then they bring him in. And, and it basically goes until the end of the war. So Right. right. I admire them for trying to stray from the – from the formula. And I think in that ref- respect, it was, it was refreshing, mm-hmm. but all too often they dipped back. Um, well, they, so basically there are three time frames in mm-hmm. this movie. Yes. There is 1950s. I'm going to say to right. where, um, basically he is, um, he's under police suspicion. There's a robbery yes. at his house and he, like there's all this tumult and the police start investigating them basically. Mm-hmm. So there's that time frame. Then there's the time frame that you're talking about, the World War II. Right. COVID Early forties. Yeah. And then they flash to his childhood. Which I imagine is in the late twenties, thirties, somewhere yeah, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, and for me, 
they dipped once too often back to the childhood, to the 20s or 30s, when he was a young boy growing up in a a boarding school, Mm -hmm. I guess, or a preparatory school. And once or twice would have been okay because it kind of sets the tone. But they started straying into trying to cover too much of his life and to try to explain away his personality and kind of push your nose into certain aspects and be like, here, this is why he is the way he is. And it's like, no, why don't you just let us kind of come to that rationalization or that realization Mm -hmm. ourselves? The guy, you know, Alan Turing, not knowing anything about him before this movie, um, didn't know anything about the whole, I had heard of an Enigma device and I knew that eventually it had gotten broken and that's about it. I didn't know the guy's name, didn't know that he kind of was the forefather of computers, didn't know any of that. He is a very interesting person. Mm -hmm. And at first what worried me about the movie too was that Cumberbatch, when he first is on screen and he's... I think we're seeing him at the very beginning. I think he's doing the 1950s time period. And then they go back to the World War II time period. Mm -hmm. And then they start jumping all over the place. But um, those two periods, I felt like at first, I was a little scared because I'd heard, you know, he is nominated for this performance. for, uh, And I was worried that all he was doing was doing his Sherlock impression, which I like the show Sherlock. Mm -hmm. I think he is a good actor. And he has that part of playing the aloof arrogant jerk Mm -hmm. who's very smart Mm -hmm. but is kind of a jerk and has no social skills he was basically to me in the beginning of the film he was doing sherlock there was a little bit of that mixing in uh sheldon cooper from the big bang theory i mean you've kind of got okay it's like take sherlock but give him a hard social anti-social awkward bit to him taking people literally and just all that you mix that in and i think that's that's the the, the performance you've got I, which you know yeah i hadn't thought about the um mm. sheldon bing bang theory but yes yeah mm. and it was, so it worried me that it was playing at something rather than just doing a role kind of but i will say that faded away mm-hmm. and when he becomes more human and he has some emotional moments and you can see the cracks in his exterior i mean not that some of it is really he does have personality quirks and stuff but he does have this kind of, I think he also works at putting up a facade. I mean, he's yeah. able to function. He's able to sure. cook his own meals and do everything. You know, he's, he's not like he's completely dependent on other people to function in society. Mm-hmm. But when they, you got to see him be a little more human, that was when I was like, okay, you know, he's working at something you more. Into it. It, was a, it was a good performance. What your feelings on mm-hmm. how it handled kind of the whole biopic? I, I was fine with that side of it. I, okay. um, this is one of those few instances where I was okay with this being a dramatic film as opposed to a documentary. Okay. I actually enjoyed it more as a story than I probably would have, as they just said, telling me the facts and showing me the, 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 any photos or anything else. Okay. I really did like Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. I like you was scared at first. I thought it was going to be all affectation and not a lot to it. But as the film went on, I agree with you. I think the performance got stronger as it went on. I didn't have a problem with the flashbacks to the, him as a child. That really? to me worked because it did help really build that foundation for his, you know, the naming of the computer and kind of his, uh, some of the side of that. I was okay with all that. I didn't like the flashing forward and backwards constantly where it's just like, you know, pick one time period to flip us to don't flip us both sides. Cause a couple of times I got a little confused. I, okay. You know, I, I got confused yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Now granted I saw this starting at 1030 at night. Yeah. So I thought that was part of my problem. Mm-hmm. But actually, at the end of the film, I think they did it, unfortunately, 
because they felt like the story wasn't interesting enough on its own. Mm -hmm. And they did it to kind of not confuse you, but to heighten the tension of like, oh, this is happening. But we're going to jump away from that and show you maybe some of his personality stuff and why. And then they kept jumping it. It didn't work. They just would have let it play out. I agree. But instead, they were kind of impatient. And even if they had to, if they were intent on doing this three time period, I think the, the structure of the story didn't work the way they did it. Right. I think you could have pulled it off a different way through some different editing and different framing of the story. The way it was very abrupt changing sometimes between the time periods and you're just like, okay, wait a minute. I got to <laughs> reorient my brain where I am. And we right. shouldn't, the viewer shouldn't be no. doing that. Unless um, the motive of this movie is to make you think and to make you keep it, but that's not what they're no. trying to do. They're no, not they're trying, trying to, to tell you that. a story and give right. you some background information on where it is now. It's not an in night Shyamalan movie. Right. It's supposed um, to be, yeah. I thought Kira Knightley was really good. Um, and she's generally a, a good performer. I enjoy watching. I thought she was good and strong in this. I, uh, I liked the story a lot. I really did. Okay. The story behind it was fascinating to me. You know, this is a story I did not know much about. I was really intrigued by the story. Uh, you know, there's the question of how much of it's true. I mean, it's just like with any other uh, film based on a real event. How much is dram- uh, over-dramatized? How much was real? That right. always plays in the back of your head with these films. And I hate that it, it, we do that, but that's, I think that's a human nature thing. I was happy to see that they, you know, going into the film, one of the things that was talked about with the film is the fact that there's a, the, the whole homosexuality side of Alan Turing's life that played a part in the story. I was happy to see that it, it was a small subplot maybe it wasn't as strong played in the film as it could have been, but I actually liked the way they didn't let it overwhelm the story. The story really was enigma where I was afraid it was going to be the homosexuality and not the actual goal that they're accomplishing. And I like the fact that it was a little bit of an undercurrent subplot rose its head a little bit more towards the end, especially in the flash forward of the fifties, but it didn't become this overwhelming point of the film. Agreed. And I think actually, my problem with the flashbacks to the youth part mm-hmm. when he was a young boy was that they were kind of establishing that he was he was gay. Right. But instead of letting us understand that on our own, they kept kind of like pointing it out. And that kind of bothered me. It was because, a little it was a little blunt, I'll admit. Sure. Um, but it, it, it didn't bother me. But I can see where you're coming from on that. Um, now, I'll also say, too, that even though this is a film that is obviously custom made for Oscar season, it could have been a lot more Oscar baity than it was. I think they actually showed a little more restraint than I thought they might uh, from the overdone scenes, the big Oscar clips. I mean, Bandit Cumberbatch had one or two late in the film that were very much that's the clip they're going to show when they show the clip (laughs) up on the screen for his performance. But I think. On a scale from one to ten, where they could have gone all ten, and I can name several films over the past ten years sure. where you just know that's what exactly what they were trying to do. This right. one held back a little bit better. They actually made it a little more of an entertaining film, which I thought was good. A little more humor, a little more thrilling moments. It was less of a let's just go through and, and play on emotions. Let's actually have a little fun with it sometimes. And I think there was some fun in the film as well. I will say the things I didn't like, I already mentioned. I didn't. I thought the skipping between the three time periods was not as well managed as it should be. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're basically, you and I are kind of on the same page with that. And I guess that's fault of the screenplay, which yeah. is also Oscar nominated. <laughs> Again, I just, I didn't see the reason for have the, the presence in the fifties. Right. I think you could have accomplished everything you're trying to do in this film with the childhood and the actual main story in the forties. I guess, yeah, use it more as bookends as opposed to keep sprinkling it out throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you were going to frame everything in the 50s and then have everything be a flashback to the 40s when the actual stuff was going on, that's fine. But don't flash us back again to the 30s and and 
it just got too changing much. gears too much. I like that. There was a there was a subplot late in the film about a, a Soviet spy inside the group, and that subplot to me went nowhere, and honestly didn't even really make sense at the end of the day. Hmm. Um, the only care and the only performer, the only actor I did not care for in this was Mark Strong, who was the MI6 guy. Wow, and only because it's just he's it's Mark Strong playing the stereotypical. I am. A, I didn't like Mark Strong's hair. Well, I didn't even notice his hair, but it's, it's, it, you know what it was, Chris? It was the whole point where you're dropping a really well-known actor into a cameo and he's just like chewing this. And I just get to play the, I get to say the really pithy lines. I get to have the real presence on screen, but there's no real depth to me. What really killed me is early in the film, Charles Dance, who I really do like, he was the actual commander, I guess the one who actually hired Alan in the first place. Okay. Uh, I recognized his face, but I didn't know his name. Well, you know, uh, my wife was actually watching on Netflix the other, just two nights ago, The Golden Child, the Eddie Murphy film from the 80s. Whoa. The really bad Eddie Murphy action adventure movie. Sure. And Charles Dance was the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Did he still look just as old? Oh, yeah. He's always looked Actually, that way. Alex saw both films and he's just like, uh, has there been any time passed between these <laughs> like, two films? Actually, yes. Like, yeah, quite a actually, bit. Like 30 years. Um, <laughs> huh. Anyway, but they're they're getting the the mathematician team together and introducing them to the enigma machine, kind of telling them what their mission is. Right. And they're asking these questions. They're saying these things, and they're starting to be a little defensive on things. And all of a sudden, Mark Strong's character kind of <laughs> floats into in the from room. the side. It's like, well, that's why we have you here, type of thing. Kind of like this big presence <laughs> that just kills me. It's just so 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 overscripted and just. Uh, unnatural. So his performance, I didn't care for because I thought I wanted more depth to his character, but I liked everybody else in the film. What do you See, think about I, the acting? I actually, the acting, yeah, I, Keira Knightley, take her or leave her, actually. I liked, what's the guy's name again that played the commander? Uh, Charles Dance. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. he was, thought he was awesome. Oh, Cumberbatch yeah. is awesome. I liked Matthew Good and Mark Strong. I actually liked both of them. I like Matthew Good. But I, I was frustrated at the end of the day, more so with Mark Strong. I like him as an actor anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was kind of playing to a type that he often plays. But I felt like it was a, a fact of it being too thinly written. Yeah, well, and they didn't yeah, give him true. quite enough to do. Because I think his role is kind of a shadow figure watching this whole thing and controlling certain aspects that nobody was aware of. And then he eventually tells Turing, mm-hmm. hey, guess what? By the way, this is happening. And I felt like it was too thinly written. And I thought yeah. Hugh was a lot more... Interesting, and maybe it was just what Matthew Good was kind of doing, but I thought that, and I felt like that kind of felt fell yeah. by the way. So. I like the Matthew Good character. I thought he was good at t- again. Everybody on on there, I really enjoyed watching. I like the chemistry between some of the uh, the members of the team. I, I'll, I'll say too, overall, like mm-hmm. you're saying, I, I think the film is it's a good film, but there were some instances where I felt like they were being a little heavy handed dramatically now granted mm. this is world war ii it's a very dramatic situation it's a very serious time it's a very momentous time mm-hmm. but it's like the bombarding of london mm. and it was kind of a protracted um scene of the bombardment but then also going underground and all these tunnels and everything and to the point where they actually have a shot of a guy playing an accordion and you hear the mm. accordion music and i was like okay well and it didn't fit the rest of the film no the whole rest of the film we're kind of just focused all our energy inside the park where they are working we're right. not seeing the rest of the world and that's and kinda, actually like that i like yeah, the because fact it focuses that, uh, on how they were yeah. isolated and yeah. how they yeah because for example there's later in the scene where we find out that because of some of the work they're doing certain things are now available for them to do but they have to make a conscious decision not to do something and i like the fact that we're dealing with this drama inside this room but it wasn't this big montage of like 
a ship exploding and people dying and all that. Unfortunately, we saw the aftermath shot, which right. I didn't like. But at least I felt like we were inside the room dealing with it the same way they were dealing with it. I wish they had done that the whole film. I would have been yeah. happy if they didn't show any of the bombing. We were just hearing the reports about it coming into that room just like they would have if, you know, naturally. You know, And the scene you just talked about where information was becoming available and they had to make a judgment call, that's my other heavy-handed scene. Mm. And it was because the way they handled it, it was kind of a two-stage development in that scene. The scene talks about the information. They realize the implications of whether or not of acting on it or not right. acting. And they have this whole discussion. You realize the weight. And then, you know, okay. But instead they add this extra like, okay, now we're going to get – You thought we were hitting you with a sledgehammer. That was just a baseball bat. Now mm, we're getting out yeah. the sledgehammer. We're going to hit – Me not knowing the history of this – if that instance was based on something that actually happened, then you have to say, well, that okay, actually happened. That happened. So they're not yeah. just making it up for dramatic effect. And maybe it did. But I just could, that bothered me just in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, they couldn't just let it, the note couldn't just be played and let it resonate. Instead, they had to play it again and mm. really hit that note really hard. Sure. Yeah, I, so I, I could see that. Um, that bothered me. But. It, it didn't bother me. Um, but I can, again, I see your point on that. I'm, I'm very open to your criticism on the film because even though I really did like the film, there's definitely some problems with it. There were some things that were clunky. The whole framework, the, the flashbacks, flash forwards did not work at all for me. Um, but in general, the story was captivating. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really liked Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. Once he got into the flow of things, and I felt like it was no longer a caricature, but mm-hmm. there was a real character behind it. And I will say the end scene, the coda scene, which is a little bit further in the future. I still can't quite place where it happened. <laughs> if right. it was before the 50s, it was after the 50s stuff we've already seen. So it's after he's already been accused. So is this of, the scene with Keira Knightley? Yes. Okay. And that's, that's the scene everybody could point to and say is the big Oscar scene, but I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, we, we find out where he is. We find out what he's going through, both physically, mentally. And there again, I think if that had, yes, I agree. I think that scene was that scene well actually worked really well. It was I, very passionate. It was a very I, powerful film. I feel like it was well done. Scene. They couldn't leave enough alone and they had to jump back again. Right after that well, they jumped back and then they did the, uh, the text on the screen, which I always hate the text on the screen at the end of the film that basically just spells out the entire rest of his life for you in like three screens of text right. with them around the bonfire throwing the books into the, the fire. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of would have been happy. There was a shot where he basically in that CODIS scene, that last couple dramatic scene where he goes into the room where the computer's sitting up, and he shuts the lights off and walks out that, Yep. In the film right there. Agreed. Don't, don't do anything Agreed. else. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Actually, you know, I would say end it right there, but if you wanted to do a little bit of text, do it on black. After just a black screen afterwards. Or even we're as just, he's we're, leaving we're the room. We're fixing an already perfect movie. Or as he's <laughs> turning off the lights, do the text during that scene where he's kind of right. stumbling into the room, turn off the lights and walks out of the room. That's Agreed. fine. But then to go back and do another scene there back in the 40s, yeah, it was just... It was too much, and they didn't need to do all this to make right. this a really effective film, I didn't think. So. Yeah, in my opinion, no. Yeah. yeah. Overall, though, I did like it, I will say. Uh, it's not my choice for best film okay. uh, of the nominees I've seen so far. I'll go ahead and say that. I would probably, and this is going to be blasphemous to a lot of people, I would probably give it the nod before I gave it to Boyhood, hmm. but... I still wouldn't give it any anywhere close to Birdman. And of yeah, course, we're, we're going to have to. We're going to do a show where we give our picks of what we want mm. to win and what we think will win. I'm going to have to really. I'm really torn over Best Picture this year. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's going to be a gonna tough, be tough. One. Everybody seems to say it's going to be Boyhood, but I don't know. I'm actually hearing a lot more 
for some other films. Mm-hmm. Selma's gotten a lot of attention. American Sniper's tearing up the box office, which I don't think is going to make a huge difference on its on its Oscar choices, but it's actually is it shooting up the box office. Act- yes, sorry, oh. <laughs> but it's actually getting in the in the in the conversation now, where it right. wasn't several weeks ago. Right, it's a. It's a much more, it's a much tighter race than I think we realized it was going to be on this. Hmm. So that's the imitation game. Obviously, uh, we will be hearing its name over the next several weeks as we lead up to Oscar time. It is nominated for both best, best actor for Benedict Cumberbatch, nominated for best picture, correct? Um, best director. I think it's nominated for best director for Morton Tildum as well. I don't know if any other major. Kira Knightley is Kira Knightley nominated yes, for best absolutely. supporting actress. Yep, she is. I don't know if she earned that one, but she's good. But. Well, okay. Uh, so it's got a lot. It's got a lot of actors, uh, acting awards and uh, production awards across the board. So we'll see where it goes. All right. Next, we're going to talk about a film uh, that did not go to the theaters, went straight to your desktop or your Apple TV or whatever you watch movies on. It is the time-traveling sci-fi film Predestination. What if I could put him in front of you, the man that ruined your life? If I could guarantee that you'd get away with it, would you kill him? Follow me right in here. Here we go. Deep breath. We're in 1963. That's impossible. I'm a temporal agent. We prevent crime before it takes place. The fizzle bomber. His next explosion will leave 11,000 dead. You can do this. Alan, when we were prepping for this show, we knew we were going to review Imitation Game. Yes. And you said, hey... I just heard about this movie. I've heard a lot of good buzz. Uh, it's called Predestination. It was just released, I think, VOD, like January 9th. You know, it's it's just hot off the presses. You yes. It would be a cool one to kind of, you know, do with Imitation Game because it's a smaller film. Mm-hmm. And then you threw out the L word. You said, yeah, it's kind of like Looper. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, science fiction. Hit a little, hit a little right. Chris Fry nerve right. right there. I mean, it's, you know, science fiction. Okay. In the same ballpark as Looper, time traveling mm-hmm. science science fiction. Okay, you you you've got me. So, but not knowing anything about this film, Ethan Hawke is the lead. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this should be interesting. Um, I will say within the first ten minutes, maybe mm-hmm. there's some stuff going on in this film that I had no idea was going to be happening mm-hmm. and was kind of mind blowing and made me think. Why are the Wachowski brothers or brother and sister now not doing this movie instead? Mm-hmm. You going in with all the stuff that you knew when you went to go in to see this movie, was it, did it start off where you thought it was going or did it, did it take you by surprise? I'm interested to know. Um, it should have taken me by surprise, but unfortunately it didn't because somewhere, somewhere oh, in no. the last few weeks, I kind of got a little more of a plot summary than I oh, wanted to have. Oh, man. So that so we're going to dance around. Obviously, I'm yes. we're dancing around things right now. I will say this though: even despite knowing a couple of items, I didn't know the whole thing. There's okay. still moments in the film that still got me. Got you. But the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of the film, I kind of knew where we were. Oh man! I, I know. Oh man! I know. It's disappointing, but I will say, I really did like this film. Okay. Um, I'm still wrestling with it. I just saw it last night, but I think I'm following it. <laughs> well, um, any it, movie that deals with time travel, yeah. you're going to have time questions and problems. Yeah. Um, I will say for the film, 
if you, when a filmmaker or a person doing something, if you take your subject matter seriously, mm-hmm. then I'm going to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. If you're treating it lightheartedly, mm-hmm. then I'm going to treat it lightheartedly. You know, if you are loose with your movie logic, then I'll be loose with mine. But if you're trying to explain it, you know, if you're trying to keep it tight, then I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. This film, I felt like kept it tight until the last 30 or 40 minutes or so. And then stuff just kind of started falling apart. Now, mm. things that films that you and I have discussed on the show that have dealt with time travel, the aforementioned Looper, mm-hmm. I feel like that was taking its subject matter very serious. And sure. I felt like it held up. I didn't have any questions. Another one that we've discussed, um, Primer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was, sure. that held up very complicated. Yes. But I felt like it still held up. Doesn't have to do with time travel, but um, the Christopher Nolan movie about Inception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Complicated, very nebulous, but still felt like it held up. Right. This film was holding up and I was amazed that it was, but then it, it did kind of go off the rails for me. And, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the ending is still problematic for me. I liked it. And I understand at the end of the day what the whole point was. It's just... Do you? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I'm just still... I'm still trying to map it out in my head. Sure. How it all worked. Well... Uh, Because, you know, here, here, even though I did like the film, I admired it a lot. I guess... And I automatically gave it a lot more of a pass because... It's an indie budget. It's an indie budget film. I I think it looks great. Oh, it looks awesome. Production design looks great. Um, And I will say, on record, again, going against my boyhood thing here... I think this is the best I've seen Ethan Hawke act in a really long time. He is I, really yeah, good. I think he is really good. I think especially in mean, the whole... He has to do more for me in yeah. this than he did. Boyhood, he was good, but he was just kind of playing a very natural, I'm a yeah. father growing older part. This was like, yeah, this well, was me, much more demanding. Here's role. what was really impressive about this film. Okay, you tell okay. me it's a, it's a time-traveling film with Ethan Hawke mm-hmm. that went straight to video on demand, and I'm thinking, ugh. That means it's That bad. sounds horrible. <laughs> And the fact of the matter is, this is a film that for almost a 20, 30 minute stretch of the film, the main action is taking place in a bar with two people having a dialogue, which was amazing. And I think that's where I'm saying Ethan Hawke was so good because he's having to play a dual role in that whole scene. He knows what's going on in the bigger picture, but he's having to let on that he doesn't for so much of that dialogue with this other character. Well, and that to me, when you when I look back and watch that performance, I'm like, wow, that was really good. Then Ethan Hawke has a scene towards the end of the film. It may be in this part where everything's really unraveled, but I still say in the laundromat, the scene where he confronts another version of himself. I will just say that, okay? No, you don't want me to even give it that. There's something about another version. That's all I'm going to say. Where it's a very intense dialogue. And I thought he nailed that part. I thought that was just perfectly over the top, creepy. Right. Just okay. perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. So that those scenes really got me. I'm like, okay, Ethan Hawke, man, I'll forgive you for how let down I was by some of your other recent performances. <laughs> I really, really liked you. Performance-wise, yes, I was with you. The the movie logic at that point, like you were saying, it had kind of it's, become... It was a tricky logic at that point. But yeah. again, I'm just playing it from the acting that was in that scene. Sure. I thought it was really sharp. Let, let me touch on a strength of the film. I think you're a little bit more positive on it than I am, but I still liked it. And it has been a while since I've seen this. Mm-hmm. So with a film this confusing, even though you watched it just last night... And you're still confused. At least you can make reference points. I've right. kind of forgotten some of the mm-hmm. intricacies of the film. But a big part of the film is uh, 
the performance of Sarah Snook, which mm. is the first time I'd ever, she has kind of a funny name, it's the first time I'd ever heard of her. Yep. And I thought she was amazing. I thought she was really she was. good, thought she was amazing. And um, it's too bad that, I mean, I hope she has a lot of work ahead of her because this is like a breakout performance that I actually mm. think would kind of be like, if this wasn't such a crazy weird film, this would actually be like an Oscar nominated performance. That's how big I, I kept imagining like Tilda Swinton doing her role. Now I'll say this and I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without giving anything away. She plays. Oh, I think some different parts. Can we just say different parts? I think, I think you can just say, because it happens very early in the film and this is, this is told, which this is what, Oh, I'll go ahead and say that, you know, I danced around a little bit, but it doesn't ruin anything of the film. If you think this is going to ruin the film, advance like 10 minutes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you'll get to our movie uh, recommendations and you'll be fine. Or the news section, you'll be fine. Um, She plays a character that was, basically she was forced to have gender reassignment surgery. She started out life as a female and then some really messed up stuff happened and she had to be a male. That is crazy. And in the front, I was like, whoa, what is going on? And I could not believe how the movie was basically said a lot about like gender roles Mm -hmm. and a lot about your position in society as a female and how you're reacted to and what you're quote unquote worth as opposed to when you are a male and how you're perceived and what you're worth. Like I thought all that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like in the science fiction genre, they can make, it was kind of like a, would have been a very controversial Star Trek episode because you know how they would tackle topics of race Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, they were tackling that, and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I had no idea any of that stuff was going to be going on because all I knew was time travel. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's all I knew. So I really, really admired the film for that, and I think I got so stuck on like, wow, where is this going to go? How are they going to – and they did some interesting things with it, but then it kind of ended up, I think, shortchanging it and dumbing it down, mm. and it kind of unraveled mm. for me. Does that make sense? But I yeah. thought that aspect was really well, interesting. Sarah Snook, I was going to say, too, I thought was great. Okay. And uh, I thought she was extraordinary in her female role. Okay. In the male role, A, it's a tougher role to play. It was a little less convincing for me of somebody that had gone through what they've gone through. But oh, man. I thought it was still pretty good. Man. I thought it was still pretty good. But I okay. heard in the female sure. side, I, I thought she was um, just really exciting to watch. Here's a big issue I've gotten again, dancing okay. around things, sure. but this is, this is an issue I've kind of, after I sat back and thought about it afterwards, when I, when you have a film that starts out and there's a scene that pretty early on, there is a shadowy figure. Oh, and if you don't show the face, then that means something, you know, it's going to be a sub character. We're going to meet before too long. This film only has three characters, right? So there's actually two places in the film where there is a shadowy character. Absolutely. And it's like automatically your brain is then saying, well, there's only three people. I know who this is. There's only three people and it's not the one that this shadowy character is talking to. So it's got to be this other person. Right. And that to me was very distracting. It was ridiculously distracting to me. If you're going to have a mystery film with that kind of layer and complexity to it, you have to have more characters involved to choose from. Right. Because you can't just have two main characters and you know, well, it's, probably going to be one of those two. I mean, that just really, and then when you start figuring that out halfway through the film, you're like, okay, well, yeah, so obviously that person is here. That's the way it's got to be because they haven't introduced anybody else yet. Right. That's a little disappointing. It's a little bit of a limitation of the story, limitation of budget, all those things. It's just they couldn't have a really, they needed a much deeper film to make those mysteries resonate more with us. Well, but as it was, the mysteries didn't have quite the punch they could have had. 
I don't think, towards the end, if we had more things going on, characters. And I think it's a weakness of the screenplay. Attacking screenplays is yeah. because the direction I thought was fine. I wasn't confused really with stuff. No, with, but um, I think there's a character that we haven't touched on. Um, it's an actor that I really like. who's actually in the double. It's a smaller role there, but Noah Taylor, yeah, Noah Taylor. And uh, he has kind of a more of a cameo role in this, but he plays kind of the mentor of the Ethan Hawke character. Mm-hmm. And I think if they would have developed him a little more, mm-hmm. that could have added a yeah. little bit more of the mystery and I could have fleshed it out a little bit more. I will say one other thing I really did like. I love the way they handled the time travel effect. Mm. Where it was almost like when they beamed to another time, it was like almost like a rush of air yeah. around them. And it was like instantaneous, like flash. Like there was no like fancy special effects. It's just they're gone and then they're there. Mm-hmm. But yet there's this almost like this puff of wind around them, almost like they've really just arrived somewhere mm-hmm. that I thought was just really handled really well. I, I th- like that I practical it, look of it. I so. thought it was too. And I liked the, was it, a, it was like a trombone case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I liked that. It was kind of like a steampunk yeah. ethic where it's like, you know, these little numbers like dialing a, a code to get into the box, but it was, it would set numbers. I, I liked that whole aesthetic. And that kind of talking about the aesthetic that did bring to me a question. I mean, I guess it was, I mean, it's just the writer and director's choice to set this all in the seventies and sixties, seventies and eighties. Right. When we're talking about time travel, but yet the origin point of time travel was what they say, the 80s? Yes. So Sometime in the 80s. invented in the 80s, which here we are, 2014. Yeah. It's like I thought that was kind of interesting, 15. unless they really just wanted to make sure the flashbacks of them going back in time were in the 60s and 70s, because they really wanted that time period because of the gender roles and some of the other things. And they it had to do with, yeah, with space travel and stuff like that. And that's the other part. This whole space travel business never went anywhere. Never went anywhere. And I was fascinated by it when it was on screen, but then it didn't go anywhere. And it right. was kind of a disappointment. Of to put that much time and energy into developing this as something that this character wanted to do, but it didn't go anywhere. Right. It was disappointing with that. It was a film that I feel like if they had more time, more budget, more mm-hmm. more support behind them, they probably could have fleshed this out a lot more. As it was, it was a ninety-seven minute movie with just a, a bare minimum number of characters right. to develop. It could have been a lot better. Sure. As it is, I'm going to give it a pass and say I did really like it because I think it was trying to do something really cool. And I did like what it was trying to do. And I did like watching Sarah Snook. I will say that was, she was really interesting to watch in the film. Sure. I, I think I'm on the same page with you. I, I think you liked it a little more than me, but I'm, I'm still like for people who like science fiction or for people, mm-hmm. I would say you, you've got to see this movie. It's one I would recommend. Hey, you so. can rent it for about five or six bucks and go. watch it and watch it in the comfort of your own home. So right away, I will say, Chris, I, a film like this and a film like Snowpiercer that we reviewed a few months ago. Oh, see, that's funny. I'd like, yeah, that's a good two yeah. indie sci-fi films. I would actually weigh this above Snowpiercer. See, um, Snowpiercer is a little You're bit ahead for it. me. Okay. But um, I will say just how exciting is it that two films like that, hmm. genre films, well-crafted, well-made films, we got to see when they came out. Yeah. For a few dollars rental. Yeah. In the convenience of our own home. I love the movie theater. Don't get me wrong, but Snowpiercer was never going to come anywhere near Hickory. Right. Where we and live. so if we wanted and to see it. this film would probably not have come to Hickory. Right. If we wanted so. to see it before like seven months had passed yeah. and we'd probably forgotten about it because we'd, you know. Yeah. It basically means that filmmakers are no longer shackled to thinking that they have to have a movie that goes through the traditional theater chain. Right. Because, you know, in the past, if the film didn't go through the theaters, where would it end up? It would end up on the bargain bin DVD shelf at Walmart. Because it can't make any money because nobody's heard of it. 
it. Right. Yeah. So then it just dies away and you could have gems out there that you never know about, but they're gone on DVD and you never hear about them. Nowadays, if a film comes out on iTunes, Amazon, anywhere, and anybody's talking about it online, people hear about it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we go rush to go rent it. This is a whole exciting world for watching films that we never would have got a chance to see or would have missed on before. Well, so. I think it was only helped by the the movie. It was already you know taking off, but the movie that we discussed on the last episode we did the interview right. that was a sure. huge movie, and then yeah. that was it was forced to use that distribution model. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just exciting. I still want to go to the movie theater to see the big movies, sure. but I know not every movie made can go to my local multiplex. So yeah. knowing that I don't have to never see it is a really nice comfort comfort feeling. So agreed. So that's our two film reviews. We talked about the imitation game and we talked about predestination, both of them getting positive reviews from us. Yes. Chris, a little more muted on both. A little more I was a little more both. positive on both of them than Chris was, but we're both, saying, this we're both saying they're good films to check out sure. uh, and got some great qualities to them. Um, so they're both uh, predestinations available online now for renting Imitation game still in the movie theaters as the time of this recording. Uh, let's take a quick little break. Come back. We'll do some movie news, and then we'll also hit our recommendations uh, for the for the episode. Sound good? Sounds good. Be good. right back. All right. See you then. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. If you like what we're doing here, you enjoy listening to us talk about movies, you enjoy the soothing nature of our voices, you can go back in time, just like Predestination, Mr. Ethan Hawke. You can go back in time. You don't even need a trombone case to do it. Go all the way back to listen to any old episode of Foot Candle Films on the Mesh.TV website. We've been doing this for quite a while now, reviewing films for a couple of years now. So a lot of episodes you can go back and catch up on. And they're also conveniently archived in iTunes. You can go back and find That's all That's very true. There. Apple and iTunes, we have them all there. If you're going to do that, why not rate us while you're there? Because, hey, that helps more people see our podcast. We get more listeners. It's, hey. a, it's a simple thing to do. There's a little star. There's five stars. You click whatever star number you want to give us. It's like it's one click. If you're really feeling industrious, you can even write a review and let us know what you think of the show as well. There you go. Um, also, subscribe to the show. Let's say that you're one of those people. You're real busy. You're a go-getter. You're always on the road. You don't always remember to go and check the website to see if there's a new episode of Foot Candle Films. Well, guess what? You don't have to. Take your favorite podcast application, even the podcast application on your iPhone if you just want to use the built-in one or anything else. Go and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Say, I want to subscribe to it. Then what will happen is every time we put out a new episode, it'll get downloaded automatically to your podcast app. It'll be there ready for your morning run, your evening drive home, whatever it may be. So we really would love the support and feedback. So iTunes is the best way to do that. And then you've also got the mesh.tv, which is a network of all the other shows on the mesh network. You can take a listen to and uh, uh, play any of those episodes you like as well. So, Chris, we uh, get into the part of the show where we talk about some movie news. We normally kind of go ping pong back and forth, a couple of news items here, things that we're interested in. Maybe we want to check and see how the other side of the table is feeling about it. If it's okay, I'm going to go first because sure. my news can't contain itself anymore. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you've heard this. Um, 
There is a new Ghostbusters film coming out. Huh. Yes. It'll be a third Ghostbusters. It will be a reboot of Ghostbusters, so it's not going to be a sequel from what I understand. Okay. In other words, they're not acknowledging they're not that refer- there were... referencing anything. Not, okay. not, not to my knowledge at this time. Okay. Written and directed by Paul Feig, who did Bridesmaids okay. and The Heat, okay. both with Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. Yes. All right. Now, I liked Bridesmaids. thought that did, was a funny I movie. Too. I did, too. I never saw The Heat. I'd even heard that Bridesmaids was good, so I went in with kind of mm-hmm. pretty good expectations, and it managed to meet him and exceed him. Yeah. And, yeah, I actually I liked Bridesmaids. It was good. Get never saw The Heat, so I can't attest to that. I did. Yeah, not so and good. And I didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. Well, the official female Ghostbusters have been announced. Oh, you're already starting to wince a little bit. I, I, I do. I know two of them. The other two you'll okay. have to fill me in on. Right, but sure. I, I know that uh, McCarthy is back on board. Of course she is. And I am I am very, 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 very worried about that. I think she is a talented person. It's just the variety that mm-hmm. she's been given so far, whether she's chosen it. I know Tammy. I think she actually did the writing on Tammy. Yeah. I didn't see Tammy, but because the previews, I didn't want to. It's like she's kind of hitting a one-note comedic performance. There is and a so very, very I'm, good chance. I'm and very afraid that she's going to. Well, be we have Melissa McCarthy, as we've already mentioned, Kristen Wiig, hey. who was the star of Bridesmaids. On board with. I her. like Kristen Wiig. Me Happy too. about that. Kate McKinnon, who is she? Uh, <laughs> Saturday Night Live, as well as uh, Leslie Jones, who is also Saturday Night Live. Okay, see here again. I'll fill you in on these two characters because these are people that um, I, I've lost. You know, Saturday Night Live and I have just stopped being friends. Well, that's, they don't, that's we don't return each other's calls. It, it misses you. Hey, it told me. And, you know, I get a little hello memo from like Jenny Slate doing Obvious Child, which I yes. recommended. And I really like. But in general, I, I think I do need to spend more time. Well, with Saturday. I'll tell you what. You do need to look up Kate McKinnon. Okay. Because she is a comedic powerhouse. She really? Is, now, is she relatively new or has she been on the show Maybe for Maybe three now? years now. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, huh. She's very, very good. Okay. She's probably right now the strongest performer they've got on the show. Really? Um, very, very funny. Huh. Great impressionist. Um, a lot of manic energy. Very odd sense of humor, too. I mean, just very particular. It's, it's good. So I'm excited, really excited to see her on the list. Okay. Now, Leslie Jones. Who is she? Um, <laughs> she's also a performer on Saturday Night Live now. She was a writer for several years. Interesting. Um, she was added to the show about the time that SNL was getting all the heat for not having enough African-American females on the show. Okay. They added one, and then they just added Leslie. She was a bit player. She was doing like one little bit on Weekend Update every once in a blue moon, a little uh, a little bit she did. Hmm. But then they added her as now a featured player, meaning she's in some of the skits regularly. Gotcha. Um, she's funny, and I'm sure in a stand-up world and probably on the screen with scripted lines, she's going to be hilarious. Problem is, I've just seen her way too much on live TV with SNL, and she's not very good live. Uh, she's has a hard time with lines, trick, tripping up lines a lot. Hmm. It's it's tough. Gotcha. She's still trying to find her way. So I was a little surprised to see her name on there already because she really has just got into this acting presence in the last maybe six months. It's kind of surprising she was able to land it. Well, she had a really interesting part, from what I understand, in Chris Rock's Top Five, which I didn't see. I did see. Okay, what part she, did she was. Play? Uh, I don't know the name. I don't remember the character, but she's a very tall, large black woman. Um, very domineering, commanding force. She was probably very loud and brash, if I had to guess. Because huh. that's the part she plays on Saturday Night Live as well. Hmm. Um, okay. She's funny. Okay. But, and I think she got a lot of recognition for even that bit part. She has been a good writer on Saturday Night Live. I'm just, 
My my fear is I've just seen her too much in live TV settings, and it's a little tough. Well, she doesn't con- she doesn't quite get it as well. It's so. confusing to me because you say that this is basically a reboot, not referencing the old, but yet the old had three whiteies and one African-American. Yeah. And this one basically has three whiteies and one yeah. African-American. So that, that's sure. weird to me that they would follow that same a little bit. formula. I read I mean, a little bit of what's supposed to be a plot synopsis. And of course it's still very similar. It's a, you know, one of them is a, a, a big uh, scientist. Okay. So, okay. So is Melissa, let's just do it. Melissa McCarthy is going to be Bill Murray. No, I give, actually give think a, give a rundown of who obviously Leslie, is that what you said? Her? Yes. Name? She's going to be the um, Winston See, I, character. I think they're actually going to mix it up. I really? actually think okay. Melissa McCarthy will be the, the Winston character. Really? Okay. Well, he'll, she'll be the add on huh. uh, kind of like a Lewis Tolley type of role. Almost. That's what I'm guessing. She'll be a ghostbuster, but maybe one that's like added on fighting her so way. That's a the, ghostbusters two reference when he really yeah, becomes a ghostbuster. Like she has to fight her way onto the team type okay. of thing. Um, no, actually, I understand Leslie Jones is going to be like a, a, a high-level scientist, which is cool. I think so that's she's awesome. she's going to be the Egon role, maybe? Yeah, something okay. like that. And then I think Kristen Wiig is going to be more of our Bill Murray character. Huh. Kate McKinnon may be a little more of the straight character. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I would, like, again, I would I, like Kristen Wiig. I like her a lot, but seeing her being kind of the the cool, laid-back, kind of like that would be really interesting for her to do like a Bill Murray type. Yeah. That would be That'd be really interesting. I, I hope they mix it up. I hope okay. they don't just try to run a carbon a, a copy photocopy over the original one and say, "Oh, well, we got the f- same stereotypes. Let's drop people in there. <laughs> Let's have a slightly different plot, but the same idea. They sure. gotta decide to go put their money together and go start up Ghostbusters, and they become famous. And they'll, I hope they go a whole different route. I really do. I hmm. just I don't know where they're gonna go with it. But when is I'm it? Is interested. it in? They just announced the cast. Is it for twenty next summer? Sixteen, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So they're still a little over a year out. Okay. Um, very interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this production. I hope, and I, I feel like I can. I mean, I can go in this with a fresh frame of mind. I mean, I love the original Ghostbusters. It's one of my top 10 films. Right. I don't really need anybody to remake it, but if they want to start a whole new chain of stories around these, these characters, fine by me. Go for it. Are they going to be it good? That's all it is. Are they going to be able to refrain from having any cameos? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think they're going to have to squeeze in a cameo just by. I mean, if Bill Murray would actually agree to do it, there's no way they're not going to have a minute no. because they'd be like, oh, and my there was gosh, a rumor that he's already said he's going to appear because he really likes the choices they made with the women. Really? He really likes that approach of an all female Ghostbusters. Yeah. Huh. So if he does make a cameo okay. of some sort, actually, you know what would be fun? If he was actually like the uh, uh, Peck character, the, uh, the oh. bad guy. In the movie. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't Actually, be funny? you know, okay, let's take it to another level. Mm-hmm. He's the bad guy. He's the pet character. But just like Ed Norton did in Birdman, mm-hmm. which we all admired him for, play with the stereotype that you have become. Ed Norton's stereotype is very hard to work with, very mm-hmm. controlling, and can be very arrogant. Give Bill Murray that role and let him say, okay, people say I'm kind of mm-hmm. a hermit. I'm kind of egocentric. And let him just eat that a lot and become yeah. like, that would be awesome. It'd be, it be kind of an interesting could commentary. Be good. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? I'm ready. Bring it on. I'm ready to see it. Uh, I, I'm excited to see it, hmm. but I'm also not going to be, if it, you know, if it's not any good, it didn't kill my childhood. Sure. Okay. I still have my DVD copy and my Apple <laughs> TV copy of Ghostbusters. I can pop in anytime I want. So to. you're I'm saying happy. you're going to be able to erase it just like you did kingdom of the Christmas crystal skulls. Yes. Exactly. I still love my uh, Indiana Jones 
original trilogy, even though I every time I watch uh, Crystal Skull, I hate it more and more. So, yeah. <laughs> Basically, yes. Fair. What have you got for us on the news? So we're talking about remakes, reboots, mm-hmm. something that is not a remake or a reboot, but they've spent plenty of time in between entries into this genre or entries into this, uh, this storyline. Uh, Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. he gave us 28 Days Later. Okay. Okay. I loved it. No, I never saw it. You never saw it. Okay. Nope. Did you see the sequel, which was 28 weeks later? No, I didn't. Probably not, not cuz why would nope. you? Different director, mm-hmm. but the screenwriter and the director, Danny Boyle, Alex Garland, basically just produced it, but then they were kind of hands off. I actually still liked the sequel. It wasn't mm-hmm. as good as the first one, but this, mm-hmm. you know, it it was at the beginning of all this zombie onslaught. Like they, right. you know, it was kind of a 28 you know, days later was really one of the first zombie films of the modern era to kind of, of come back out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To kind of get everybody talking zombies again. So, right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really liked it. The sequel wasn't as good, but it was still not bad. Well, now they have said they are in time. And I thought Danny Boyle, basically, you know, he makes a successful movie. He doesn't to me seem like Mr. Sequel guy. Yeah. He's not really interested in right. that, but he has been in talks with Alex Garland, the screenwriter, and he's like 28 months later. Hmm. They want to do it. They say they have an idea on how to make it work, and there's something they want to examine within the franchise, and they're like excited about it, and they say that's going to happen. Okay. So you haven't seen any of the other two movies. No, I haven't. But you like Danny Boyle, right? I do really like Danny Boyle. Okay. 28 Days Later is one of the few Danny Boyle films I have not seen. Actually, it may be the only Danny Boyle film I haven't seen. Um, wow. Which I don't know why. I, every time I think about his filmography, I just never remember that one. So I, th- I think you need uh, to I think you need to check that I, one out. I'm a huge fan of his work, so I, I definitely need to check it out. Especially, I'm a big Walking Dead fan now. I like the zombie, zombie you know, genre in general. I thought World War Z was actually a better film than I expected it to be. I mean, you know, I'm ready for bring me on another zombie film. And see, this is I, World World War Z. I liked okay, mm-hmm. um, but the thing is, I kept thinking about. 28 days okay. later because yeah. it was like it was similar yeah. in tone. I need to check it out. I really do. I, I wish I had more of an opinion to give you. I'm <laughs> like, like, Hey, eh? if, people, if people like the first two movies, go for it. I like the, the, the concept of this whole 28 number and keep rolling with that. So what I, what I also liked in the, the segment I read about it online was of course the interviewer couldn't help, but follow it up and say, Oh, so 28 uh, months later is going to happen. So are we to also expect a 28 years later? And the guy's like, okay, no, no, let's yeah. not be ridiculous. Let's not, let, yeah. Let, I mean, he said, uh, it could happen, but I really doubt it because you know, we're, we have an idea, but let's not be too stupid. Yeah, you know, sure. so I admired him for at least like calling it and hopefully, you know, we'll live, stick to that. But I yeah. thought that was interesting. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask, my, my other news item was really not as much news. I mean, I, I don't really want to talk too much about the specific, film and the criticism on it. I want to talk more about the concept, uh, the philosophy behind it. Hmm. So Selma. Okay. Selma's out in the theaters. It, it talks about Martin Luther King and the March in Selma, and it depicts a, a true historic event in the civil rights movement. Gotcha. Um, Unfortunately, li- neither one of us have seen it. No, but it is playing locally. So I, I plan by the end of the weekend to have seen it at least. Right. Um, supposedly in the film, there's a, there's uh, Lyndon Johnson, the president is portrayed in a certain way that, Maybe he's he's portrayed a little bit more of the enemy, the villain, to hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King. Interesting. A lot of controversies come up about that, saying, well, that's not true. Even people from Johnson's kind of uh, lineage and family tree are saying, no, 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 that's so wrong. 
because he was actually very supportive of the March on Selma and Dr. King and everything else. But the film portrays him not that way. Hmm. Now, again, I'm talking in generalities because I haven't seen the film. I'm sure. just what I've read. But it did start a, kind of a conversation in my head that I want to talk with you about. Okay. I recall back to one of our very first foot candle screenings many, many years ago. This is before we were even in the theater. This is oh. just when we were in our office on a Thursday night popping in a DVD and watching and talking. Is this about the it. discussion after Talk to Me? Yes, it is. Okay. The film Talk to Me, Don Cheadle playing a famous uh, disc jockey that broke some racial barriers and uh, other things back in the 70s, I believe. Uh, we watched the film about, talk, about him about, called Talk to Me, which is a good film. I liked it until I read about how much of it was fabricated um, for the film. And it really made me angry because it wasn't just a matter of they just bent a little bit here and there. They made entire sequences where he went on the Johnny Carson show, the Tonight Show at the time. He never did, mm-hmm. I've come to find out. And they recreated the whole scene to make it seem like a true historic event, and it never actually happened. Right. So now we're hearing about that with Selma. It made me think about it with the imitation game, mm-hmm. thought about it with other things. How do I mean? How do you? Where do you stand on the whole idea of if a filmmaker wants to make a film about a true historic event, should they keep it hundred percent true? Should they have that liberty to float the facts and make it more of an entertainment machine? Where Where do you stand on? Do you have an opinion at all? Uh, well, yeah, of course, of course, I've got. Of course, you have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, if you're not making a documentary, mm-hmm. then there's license there. Okay. Um, now. So, you know, if you choose, like talk to me, you choose to kind of invent some, I think completely inventing a Tonight Show performance is one thing. If you want to say they went on national TV and you don't really mention that, then that's fine. Even if they never went on national TV, does that make, but actually grounding it in something real mm-hmm. that I, I kind of do have a problem with that. From what I understand of Selma and the stuff that you're talking about, I have heard some people kind of discuss it and it's, it's open to interpretation how unsupportive or supportive yeah. LBJ is. Sure. It's kind of just left, yeah. it's kind of, you know, left a little ambiguous. And I think that's okay. Mm. Um, because if it is truly not, ambiguous, I'm okay with that. Because you're not yeah. making, you're not making a documentary. Obviously what you're doing is you're making a movie and movies take chances to make dramatic tension higher yeah. or lower. And um, it was depend on how it's handled. For instance, Going back to our imitation game review when we were talking about um, the choice of whether or not to use information and that scene just kind of went a little bit too far. And mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was true, but I was really ir- I was going to be irritated if it wasn't true. Right. So it's kind of a thing where, you know, it depends on how it's handled. And since you and I haven't seen it, I kind of recall. It's a little chopped to talk about Selma. But, uh, but I, do, I, do think, I do think dramatic license, even in a film – that is, and then, you know, it says, like it said on uh, the beginning of Imitation Game, based on a true story. Right. So that's different from when you don't even throw that line up or you accept everything as fact. So, you know, Imitation Game is very clear at the very beginning. Well, here's, here's the line I think I've kind of come up with where I feel like things cross the line on, on, on falsifying historical events or true stories in the film. I think it's when... Like you alluded to, when there's a layer of tying it to something else real and factual and making it shoehorning it into something that didn't belong there, so, like the, the Tonight Show. So it's the difference between a white lie and a lie. 
Yeah, there's a, that. A, a white lie is just saying, okay, they went on national TV. A lie lie that's worse is when you say they went on the Tonight Show and you give them that extra layer. I think there's that when they're actually falsifying and recreating false footage to right. make it look like something inside what should be a real biopic film. Gotcha. Now, the other side of the coin, the one, the, the thing that concerns me, if LBJ, and again, we'll watch the film. I hope to be able to give a review to back in the next in. couple of yeah. weeks and weigh in. If they paint LBJ in some light that is not historically accurate, this is a famous figure in our history, a famous figure with family, mm-hmm. generations still alive in here, to paint somebody in a completely wrong situation and paint them in a very unfair, unflattering light when that was not the case. That's where I think I draw the line. Sure. I mean, basically, my rule is if you're going to make a real person look bad for the, just for the movie – you got to understand that that is going to have an effect on their family, people, how they perceive them in history. And that's unfair. Sure. That, that should not be on a real thing. Now, if you wanted to make an inglorious bastards, okay, mm-hmm. which not real, you no. know, Hitler was not massacred at a movie theater. You know, it was all done up fake, right? You know, the whole story, you know, is fake. Okay. So there's not even any glimpse of it saying any of this is real. We're, it's pretty clear once you get into the film that this is all made up as we go along. Taking a historical figure, Adolf Hitler and all, okay, have whatever storyline you want because everybody knows this did not really happen. Mm-hmm. There's no way anybody could walk out of the theater and think, oh my gosh, is that really what happened in the That's story? That's crazy. No, it's not. But in Selma, it is, this is real. This sure. happened. These are the way it happened. And I think if you're going to, if you do end up painting somebody in the wrong light and that's a real person, I think that's that's really pretty pretty shoddy. Now again, we're not saying that about Selma because I, we have not seen the film. Uh, I would I do want to see it and kind of comment on it, but I just wanted to make that dialogue about the thoughts on real versus quote real in the movie theaters. Um, and I think sometimes it's a fine line they got to balance. It's, it's it's make it entertaining or make it you know where people are going to be upset and it could possibly damage people's reputations and all. That's the balance line you got to have. Got one more story for you. Okay, John. well, let's do one more then. The expression, third time's the charm. So mm-hmm. this year, in 2014, so last mm-hmm. year, now that we're in 2015, we had, first we had Noah, then we had Exodus of Gods and Kings. Mm-hmm. Both disappointments, one more than the other in the box office. Yeah, Exodus definitely was a huge disappointment. Right. Yeah. Noah critically wasn't mm-hmm. worried, but did okay. Did okay. But, I've seen Noah, didn't bother seeing of Gods and Kings, but I want to. Yeah. Okay. We are slated for another biblical remake. And it was another and it's another um throwback to like the Ten Commandments type stuff. They're remaking Ben Hur. Oh uh, yeah, I've heard about that. Uh Morgan yeah. Freeman is going to be the slave trainer guy, and then a show that I have not watched, Boardwalk Empire, a star of that, um, Jack Houston is actually gonna be the Charlton Heston hmm. dude. Okay. So is third time going to be the charm? And another little added thing, which will probably, I should ever get you to, so if you were an investor, you know, would you, would you say, okay, this is going to be it? I think probably not. You got to tell me the director. Right. Mm. Director, um, Timur Beckenbatinov or so I can't remember. It's a Russian name. He made Nightwatch, which is a film I like. He made Nine, which was a film I liked. Okay. Then he made Wanted. And he made Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, boy. <laughs> I really hated that. But Nightwatch I liked. Nightwatch yeah, I liked. I never liked. saw Nightwatch, but I really hated Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Right. Did you ever see Nine? The, like, no. stop motion, like, mm. cloth figure type? No. Okay. 
Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Okay. I don't know how I'd feel about it. Um, I would be very hesitant on any religious-based uh, big tentpole movies, um, especially a remake of an old classic film. I'd be very wary right now because I don't think the marketplace is digging them too much. Right. But so that's going to be the third strike and you're out. This it could be. Like, if it doesn't do it. Although, just... again, anything could happen. I mean, we see the first bit of footage from this, and if it looks interesting – if they're doing something different than the theatrical Ben-Hur version, the big spectacle version, if they do something a little different, who knows? It could be interesting, but the director doesn't give me a whole well, lot of What's kind of crazy to me is, you know, people, and I'm included me, I'm one of those, you hear about reboots and you're automatically like, oh, <sighs> I'm so tired of reboots. Yet it seems like over and over again, they are successful and they do work. More times than not. And, you know, I was excited about Noah because I was like, oh, wow, they're trying to reboot the biblical epic. Reboot. That should be that should be interesting. No, they were there. They yeah, were trying yeah, to reboot, reboot the, the biblical, the biblical epic. universe. Yeah, and it didn't. It, no, it didn't quite work. And then they, you know, of gods and kings, same type of thing. I'm like, oh, okay, it's Ten Commandments all over again. Christian Bale is doing the. I'm like, and that one, and and we're not talking about you know you're down on this director. We're talking. We had bit. We had Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. We have Ridley Scott. These aren't no name people deciding to True, reboot. This. But they're not box office draws nowadays. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's heyday was in the eighties. I mean, after Blade Runner, uh, Thelma and Louise. You know, he did Gladiator. Really, Gladiator. Gladiator was like his last More hurrah. He has yeah. not had a big big film since Gladiator. In my mind, Prometheus, Prometheus. I know, but still, that did not light the world on fire as much as it, it, as it should have. have. Yeah, right. Um, so I think he's a little past his prime, and I think you take a subject matter that not a lot of people were really clamoring for, I don't think. You take an actor like Christian Bale, who is a good actor, but I don't think he's got the public's goodwill on his side I, as yeah. much. And the trailer, to me, just wasn't really that impressive. Uh, it looked like a lot of big CGI spectacle and not a lot more. I think you had all that together. It just wasn't going to work. Now, with Noah... I think Noah could have been even bigger if it was a different director. Hmm. Aronofsky doesn't have the box office cloud either. I'm glad they used Aronofsky. I'm glad they did something a little different. And it actually did really well for an Aronofsky film. You know, right. it like was a huge revenue making for a Darren Aronofsky film. Right. It was um, his biggest commercial like exposure yeah. was doing Noah. Yeah. So, but, but there again, I, I just don't think the audience is wanting these films. I don't think anybody's clamoring for these films. Gotcha. I think we're, we're digging into stories that were done really, really well before. Uh, and I have no problem with remakes and reboots, but I just don't think the audience in general is clamoring for these things. Okay. So I would say no, if I was in Mr. Producer chair, somebody <laughs> came to me with this idea. Uh, now, if you told me, We've got Michael Fassbender starring in Ben-Hur, and we're going to have— um, As in the Charlton Heston role. Sure. Yeah, yeah And okay. if we're going to have, let's see, who would be a good director for it? Somebody I would really like get excited about. Um, hmm. If David Fincher was going to do Ben-Hur with, with, uh, with uh, Fassbender. Fassbender in the lead, I'm like, okay, I'm good. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> it, That's why, to me, it takes the talent to make that work. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. Um. All right, I, I know I said I wasn't going to do any more news, but this is really quick. Sure. If you were to recast Indiana Jones, who would it be? Okay. No, I want you, your opinion, not who's getting batted around the news right okay. now. Okay, okay. Because it's Mr. Chris Pratt right? Uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. all that. I'm not in favor of him being Indiana Jones, for the record. I need to see how – the only way I would be – is if his if he does a good job in Jurassic World, which I am not excited about that movie at all. And I am. The only reason I'm excited about it is because I really liked Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it makes me want to see what he can do in that movie. Now, 
if he's really good in that movie, then maybe I would say into um, Indiana Jones. But let me let me clear my mind. Well, uh, see, I, would, I would argue with you on that. I'd say if he's really good in Jurassic World, that's even more reason from not to be Indiana just Jones. Overexposure. I, I just and, he's got the cocky adventure character in Star Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. If he gets to be the cocky adventurer in Jurassic World, okay, he's got two franchises. That's enough. That's enough. I, I don't need this guy watered down. I really like Chris Pratt. I don't want him to get watered down into every franchise now. So, oh. with that in mind, who would be a good Indiana Jones? Because well, I got a perfect one. We've well, unfortunately, about you've already thrown his name out this episode. So, I'm going to say, and I would dare anyone to prove me wrong, Fastbender would be an awesome Indiana Jones. However, I'm going to sidestep that because we've already mentioned him and Hugh Jackman. Mm. So I'm going X-Men. Okay. Name any X-Men. No. Um, no, Patrick Stewart's too old. Yeah, Patrick McKellen Stewart. is too old. Um, but I think both Hugh Jackman and Michael Fassbender, either one of those guys would be great. All right. Months ago, there was a rumor of Bradley Cooper being up for Indiana Jones. Oh, man. And I was against it. I'm not a Cooper. Until, I'm not a Cooper fan. Until Guardians of the Galaxy. When you didn't even see his face or no, see no. him act. I know what he looks like. I know what Bradley Cooper looks like. He can look like Indiana Jones. That's not the problem. I wanted the attitude. And actually, Rocket Raccoon had an Indiana Jones similar attitude. If he could put that kind of smart-alecky attitude towards it, but still have the charm, still have the appearance he's got, I think he'd be a great you know, Indiana I'm Jones I'm holding man. Silver Linings Playbook against Bradley Cooper. And you shouldn't, because that's a really good movie. And Yeah, um, <laughs> I disagree. Um, but I'm really holding that against him. Um, yeah. So I should let that go. He'd, he'd be fine. He'd, I think he would be a really good Indiana Jones. But to I've me, come, the I've look, Michael Fassbender has the look up and down of Indiana Maybe. Jones. If you really want to get like a, a very the same physical attributes type right. of look. Yeah. But I, I just think I don't think Bradley Cooper could be an interesting Indiana Jones. He's like a blonde hair pretty boy. I don't think of that as. But I think he's gotten away from that. I mean, Grant, we haven't seen American Sniper yet, but supposedly he's very good in that. Terrible. I think he was really good in Guardians of the Galaxy. I liked him in uh, American Hustle. Um yeah. So you know what? I, I think him in American I Hustle. think he's good. And I didn't used to think he was that great. But the last few films, <laughs> okay. I think he's really good. Okay. Fair so enough. Chris, I think we've hit enough news. Let's kind of wrap up our show. This is where we like to talk about the one film recommendation we want to make for you. Uh, before you turn off the podcast, something that you may go and add to your either Netflix queue, go rent online, go find somewhere else on Hulu, Apple, wherever it may be. And uh, it's just a film that it could be a big film, could be a small film, but just something we've either – kind of came back into our memory we wanted to share and recommend for people to check out. Chris, what have you got for us? Um, mine is one that is uh, available on iTunes, streaming a couple of places, including Netflix, but it's a 2013 film, Like Father, Like Son. Ooh, well, and I think that. it was nominated at some point for Best Foreign Film. I don't know if it was right. 2013 or last year for 2014. But anyways, um, it's the story of two families, and it focuses primarily on a guy who's a successful businessman, and he's you know driven by money. And he learns through a phone call from the hospital, guess what, dude? At birth, in the hospital, is a little mix-up, and we switched your son with somebody else's son. Oh, wow. And so now your six-year-old son technically isn't yours. Mm. Now, this sounds like fodder for, like, a stupid comedy mm. or, like, a lifetime movie. A lifetime movie, I was going to say. Yeah. And Definitely. it falls into neither one of those. It's uh, I really liked this movie. It's very understated. Uh, the director was Hirokazu Koreda, which I understand he's made quite a few films, but this is mm. the first one I've ever seen of right. his. Um, and a lot of his apparently are kind of intimate 
dramas, like focusing okay. on like family dynamics and like, you know, it, I just thought it was really interesting. Um, gives you insights onto things you've like the, the pride of the mm. Japanese businessmen yeah. and all this okay. time and the, how they, you know, the importance of family yet the importance of being really, really dedicated to working mm. and stuff like that. So, um, it was really interesting. And the guy who plays the businessman, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, Fukuyama is his mm. last name. I'm not going to try to do his first name, but he has the whole stoic demeanor and like mm-hmm. kind of the expressionless face. But there are several key moments where that kind of falls away and it doesn't fall away in this big, huge weeping, sobbing, like mm. Oscar moments. He knows you can just tell he is devastated. There's a wow. scene where he reviews some photos that were taken on a digital camera. And that mm. is awesome. It was like wow. a really, really good moment. So like father, like son, uh, highly recommend it. It's, iTunes, Netflix, yeah. it's all over the place. I've been meaning to see it. That's actually one that I know we even got recommended a few times in the Film Society to try mm-hmm. to bring in and see if we ever needed an international film. So I'm glad you got a chance to catch that, but that I have not seen it yet. Um, if you recall, kind of going back in time again, back to our uh, <laughs> uh, predestination discussion. Or unfortunately, imitation game jumping back and forth all over yes. time. But if yes. you go back to our previous episode, <laughs> which was only like two, three weeks ago. Sure. I think you and I had a conversation about Tom Hanks. And yes. the conversation. And you were kind of down on Tommy. Well, I need to clarify that a little bit. <laughs> because you and I did talk it Was it all the people writing in and you're like, Yes, okay. it was the flood of email, all the hate mail towards me about Tom Hanks. And so <laughs> I'm just going to go on record. I do think Tom Hanks is a really good actor. I have not been a huge fan of his work the last 10 years or so. But, but I still think he's a good actor. catalog. I have missed some of the catalog, but let me say this. My recommendation is a film that I actually caught back up with this past weekend. I was going through my video library and just, I don't know, just watching things that interest me. And I started watching, I wanted to watch Philadelphia Hmm. for the opening credits because I love the opening credits of Philadelphia. If you don't recall, is it Bruce Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen singing streets of Philadelphia. And all it is, is natural footage of people on the streets of Philadelphia walking sometimes they're waving at the camera sometimes it's school kids playing and it's just these nice tracking shots throughout the entire city gotcha just beautiful it's just a great it just worked it was like I, a perfect music video to open that film i need to see that film again yeah. well this is my recommendation you, you oh, do need to see it. okay philadelphia is my recommendation i i'd forgotten how good that film was oh, it, yeah after i got into it i got sucked in right away mm. and that to me is tom hanks's defining performance for me personally Maybe because it hit me at just the right time in my life, too. Because was it before or after Forrest Gump? Uh, it was before. Okay. Uh, this was basically the first serious role serious he really role. had. He had done Big, which had right. serious moments to it. But it's still a comedy. Right. You know, Todd, uh, Big was still more or less a comedy. Now, this was the first serious movie. Serious role. Now, Jonathan Demme directed it. Right. And he did this right after Silence of the Lambs. Right. Which, man, you don't want to talk about a one-two Awesome directorial. Well, and if I recall, he got some flack after Silence of the Lambs because of the portrayal of like gender yeah. and like transsexual. Like, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and so he got a lot of flack about that. And so then what does he do? But he ends up going to make Philadelphia next. And it was a very like, you talk oh, about two totally different movies absolutely. too. Yeah. But I tell you, the one two punch of that, just to know that this guy who, of course, after I saw Silence of the Lambs when I was in college, I'm like, I cannot wait to see what Jonathan Demi does next. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia came out. I'm like, awesome. That's great. I actually was a little more muted on it with the first time I saw it. Hmm. And it's more viewings of it. I've come to even like it that much more. 
I just want to point out, you know, of course we have Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks plays a lawyer who gets let go from his law firm. He believes because he has contracted AIDS and he's a homosexual. Denzel Washington is one of the lawyers that Tom Hanks approaches to represent him after going through about nine other ones. He right. said, finally, he does end up representing him and they go to court to try to sue the company that fired him for that. But it's not so cut and dry. It's not a rah-rah story. It's not a, oh, let's go stick it to the bad guys type of thing. There's a lot of ambiguity about whether the bad guys were really as bad as they, as uh, Andrew Beckett, the Tom Hanks character, really thought he, they were. Mm. There's actually a lot of scenes where you start to realize that maybe the big company didn't really know he had AIDS. And they really were firing him for other reasons and all. There was a See, lot of I that. don't remember that at all. There's a little I bit of those get, undertones for a while that check. it's not, again, that we're we, we we've won type of thing at the end. There's still that you hmm. just know it's a complicated situation, huh. but there are two scenes in this film. They're right back to back too. that. I just, I still think are one of the best stage scenes. Okay. Uh, the Andrew Beckett, Beckett character approaches, uh, uh, Denzel Washington, Joe Miller is his mm-hmm. lawyer at his office to try to get him to represent him. Right. He walks in. They haven't seen each other in a couple of years. Probably walks in. Andrew is now very gaunt looking, Takes off his cap. He's bald. He's got some lesions on his face. He's shaking Joe Miller's hand, Denzel Washington. And Joe Miller says, what, man, what happened to you? You look, you're sick or something? He's like, well, I have AIDS. Right away, the way Joe Miller responds, kind of this taking his hand and just kind of backing up real slightly, not obvious, just kind of a little back, backing up. And you kind of see him glancing at his hand like, okay, should I wipe this off? Should I do something? Right. You know, it's like that uncertainty that I'm sure back in the early nineties, that was like oh, yeah. paranoia for everybody. Absolutely. Then later that evening, oh, and also in the scene, he's uh, looking, you know, as he's listening to Andrew Beckett, talk to him across the desk the whole time he's looking around his desk, examining the things that Andrew's touching. Oh, wow. And it's just, the camera's just following his eye movements. Like it goes from Andrew's face down to his cup, to the mug. Then it goes over to like when he coughs at one point, it's like you follow his hand. It's like, uh, oh, it's so well done. Huh. Then we go to the next scene where Joe Miller is at home with his wife and talking about the day. And he's like, yeah, so this guy came and he's gay and he's a homosexual. And it's some of the most frank talk I could hear a husband and wife having about homosexuality. Hmm. The guy's like, you know what? I don't like him. It's like. I'll represent them. You know, that's fine. It's the case, but I don't like them. I don't like their choices. I don't like their lifestyle. He kind of does a little dance where he's like pre- 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 pretending like he's a very stereotypical flamboyant gay person. Right. And it was like, wow, you know, this was actually kind of a daring role for somebody to take because he's basically coming off as a big uh, homophobic person. Right. Sure. But yet, you know, it was very natural though. You didn't feel like it was being malicious. You didn't feel like it was painting a good or bad. It was just very, very real. So anyway, mm-hmm. I, I really think Phil Dev is a good movie. And, okay. uh, you know, I, I love Silence of the Lambs. That's still my favorite Jonathan Demme movie, but this is a really close second. Question for you. Yeah. What happened to Jonathan Demme? I don't know, but I, I looked at his filmography after this, and it's just down, 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 down. Have you down. seen, have I heard of any of the movies he's done after this? Um, Surely he whatever did, he, he did, did right Rachel Getting film. Married. Didn't he do Rachel Getting Married? Wasn't that Jonathan Demme? I don't know. It might be. Okay. If, if that's if, if he did that one, that's the only film I know of since Philadelphia that's any good. Okay. He did a film called The Truth About Charlie. He did, uh, I think he did a remake of The Manchurian Candidate. Um, uh, with Denzel Washington. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I saw that. But none of those just right. did anything. Huh. Um, so I want to say that Rachel getting married, I think that was him. I'm looking that right up now before we close the show because okay. that will. Yeah, I'm really interested because. 
to have such a one-two knockout punch, and he had a drought apparently. But Rachel getting married, yeah, that was that was if that really was him, well. Let received. me verify that because I just yeah. want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. I'm just lately the last several years he hasn't done anything. He's done a lot of TV work. Huh. He did do Rachel getting married in 2008. Okay. Other than that, he did The Manchurian Candidate in 2004, The Truth About Charlie 2002, uh, Beloved. Do you remember that Beloved film with Oprah Winfrey? Oh, he did that? He did that in 1998. I've never seen That's actually on my... That was actually his next see. big movie after Philadelphia was Beloved in 1998. Then The Truth About Charlie, Manchurian Candidate, Rachel Getting Married. Hmm. He did a lot of TV episodes for a while. He did a film called The Ma- a Master Builder in 2013 I never heard of. Was it a documentary or was it? No, it doesn't appear to be. Huh. So, yeah, it's just kind of tape. Although Rachel Getting Married is a very, very good film. Right. I will say. That's probably three really good Jonathan Demme films uh, from the from the 90s onward there. So, hmm. anyway, okay. Philadelphia is my recommendation there. Cool. So, I guess that wraps us up. Uh, the Imitation Game, playing in theaters. Uh, predestination on iTunes, Amazon, Hulu, anywhere. Well, maybe not Hulu, but anywhere you can rent or buy movies. Uh, then we talked about our news. Then we did our recommendations. We had me with Philadelphia. We had you with like father, like, like son. father, like son, the Japanese mm-hmm. film. So a lot of good stuff to check out. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to give us any feedback. Chris, how can people reach back out to us if they want to contact us in any way? Uh, you can go to the mesh.tv and click on the foot candle show tab and you'll go there. It has all our episodes. You can email us at info at foot candle dot. What is it? Org. Org, yeah. Yeah, we're footcandle.org. <laughs> don't go to footcandle.com. I yeah, don't know what that is. Us. We can't vouch or for it. Or you can send an email to uh, info at themesh.tv, and that'll get to us, too. Just mention yeah. you want to talk to Foot Candle. Um, Alan and I are both on Letterboxd, so you can check out our stuff there. If you want to specifically find, especially, I know Imitation Game, probably not that hard for you to find, um, but <laughs> Predestination, we're in the show notes. We try to provide links that will take you to like where we see these films on iTunes and stuff, so make it Good. really easy for you to be able to find. And our recommendations, same thing. We try to give you links to those. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, definitely a lot of stuff to check out. We'd love to hear from you. Can I go ahead and just tease a little bit, too, for some stuff we got coming up this fall? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah, something um, big coming up this something fall. Something big. We just announced it to our Film Society members last week, but we are going to be hosting the very first ever Foot Candle Film Festival, September of 2015. That's this year. That's, That's in right. about seven or eight months. Uh, September 25th through the 27th of 2015. Be held right here in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina. We're going to have films running an entire weekend. Uh, really looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. If you are a filmmaker listening to this 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 podcast and you have a film that has been made in the last year or so or is finishing up this year that you'd like to submit, you can go and uh, we will have a link on the footcandle.org website. Uh, here, I'm doing that here in the next couple of days. But you can either go to footcandle.org and follow the link to the festival site. Or if you really want to type in a longer URL, you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.org. Com. And that is actually our official site for the festival. Uh, we've got a place where you can contact us or sign up for updates, but there's also a page that will link you right to our submission page. Uh, you can submit your films. Uh, it is an open uh, submission process. We will take documentaries. We'll take animated. We'll take dramatic. We'll take short, long, doesn't matter. Being a first year, we're not being overly choosy on the types of films. We're going to open it up and see what, what comes in. But we'd love to see your films if you've got anything to submit that you want to enter into a uh, film festival. This will be the real deal. I mean, we're doing it right. We're going to have a jury screening committee. It'll be prize money, award, everything. So big deal. 
going on September 25th through the 27th in Western North Carolina. Visit footcandle.org or more specifically, footcandlefilmfestival.com to make sure you can submit your film or just to give us your email address if you want to be kept in the loop. Right. We'll let you know when tickets go on sale for the screenings and when the screenings are announced and everything else. Should be a lot of fun. We're excited oh, yeah. about it. It should be a lot of fun. So that's going to wrap us up for today. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate uh, all your uh, support and attention to the show. If you have any questions, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, we will talk to you next time, which I think next episode we are going to talk a little Oscar predictions. Is that correct? I believe so. We're going to try to squeeze that in. We're getting close to Oscar time, so we need to go ahead and get our predictions on the table so we can see how woefully wrong we are <laughs> when the actual awards are announced. So everybody take care. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.